Hello, and welcome to episode 186 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon. Once again, we have all three of the guys with me through Zoom. Or I guess I'm one of the three. But anyway, Brandon and uh, Ricardo, thanks for uh, being here, guys. Yeah, just uh, just call me MJ. Back to back to back, baby. Yep. <laughs> yep. Brandon loves get, get compared to Michael Jordan. But anyway, you cracked me up, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. How? Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited for uh, for this episode today. I'm not gonna lie. I was uh, when when uh, our guest Kenny Main reached back out to me on Twitter from like a. 2019 tweet that i had sent to him um i was like first i'd do a double take see if it was even real and i was like well nothing dies on the internet remember that jeremy what's that it's forever nothing dies on the internet remember the internet is forever yeah it's man it is so well certainly yeah so anyway so kenny main yeah kenny <laughs> Kenny Main is a uh, for anybody who doesn't know is like former ESPN just like he was the man at ESPN back in the day sports center host he did I think horse racing car racing like all kinds of different stuff but he's from you know western Washington out here um near us and and so yeah I was able to connect with him he does uh he had his ankle like really destroyed in a um being tackled in a football game and it was against Oregon too Brandon like if we needed right. any more reason to hate the Oregon Ducks they tried to kill Kenny Maine Dang. Um, of course they did <laughs> so uh, yeah so he uh he got his ankle like destroyed and he was to the point and he's going to tell the story you know in the interview here but um, yeah, he was to the point where he was, he went to three different doctors, like one to replace the ankle, one to do like another surgery that he had like 50 surgeries on or something. And then a third doctor to possibly remove his foot basically. Um, and he was only in his you know fifties at that point. And it's just like, man, like he, he was able to find through, I guess, word of mouth, this brace that, um, takes all the pressure off of his ankle and obviously this isn't really like spinal cord related at all, but I mean, it's still kind of mobility issues that a lot of, a lot of people are going to face. Um, and so, yeah, like he, him and his wife started this company called uh, foundation called run freely to get these braces out to people. I didn't realize that it was actually through hanger. Um, who's a, I mean, I guess they're a national uh, kind of what, what would you call it? Like they do different distribution kind of braces. Well, no, they do like braces oh. and uh, adaptive equipment or orthopedic type. Orthopedic, yeah, orthopedic, yeah. Um, and so he linked up with the guy uh, in the at the Gig Harbor, Washington location, who was making this brace. And you know, he said, "I saw an interview with him. I don't know if he says it in this interview, but where he basically started crying, like it was like so overwhelming to be able to, mm. to kind of like walk and run again without being in constant pain." Um, and yeah, so I was like, Just "Let's get him on the show, man. This is great." Yeah. yeah. So, Jeremy, you know, one of the things is, you know, he's like about my age, you know, like Kenny is, and um. The thing is that I was thinking about with this was, you know, I spent a lot of time on concrete floors in my youth, running up and down warehouses and stuff like that. And I was thinking, you know, when I worked at Boeing, 
there was this thing that they were doing in South Carolina with these vests that had these exoskeletons that, you know, for people that were always had all this overhead work that they would um, had these exoskeletons that helped them lift and hold equipment up. And I was thinking, you know what, when I was young, you worked a 12 hour shift on those concrete floors, your legs, your ankles killed you. And I was wondering if these adaptive um, things supports could be used not only to um, help you walk and gain mobility, but maybe just relieve the stress mm. of standing all the time. Like for a company like people that work in Amazon warehouses and stuff like that now, you know, and that would really help this, uh, get into maybe a medical adaptive equipment that would be recognized by Medicare and the federal government. Yeah. Yes. Am yes. Amazon's definitely an employee first company. So I could definitely see them spending like 10, yeah. grand, uh, 10 grand, a, a brace on their, on their well, but, that, but that's what I mean is, is once they get it, once they, you know, start looking at the benefits of, you know, think about all the, uh, medical appointments, the chiropractic appointments, the pain pills, mm. you know, that whole medical industrial complex right. that people go to when they, once they have an injury, you know, plus all the downstream um, issues, you know, when you get older, where you, you know, you get up and you can't walk mm. anymore because of that repetitive stress of being on those hard floors and stuff, you know, maybe yeah. there's something there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, with, with the, uh... You know, when you have a an injury, a chronic injury, and you just can't seem to to find a resolution, uh, especially with chronic pain, and you know, like Kenny was talking about, uh, it it seemed like there was no hope really, and then to come across this device that you know can dramatically uh, change your life, um, and it just I can understand why one would be emotional about that because there are times when you're, you know in pain and you just don't know what the answer is. Nobody has an answer. It's like, you know, everybody's body's different. It gets, it gets frustrating. It feels like, uh, kind of like a doomsday scenario. It, it will, I ever not be in pain. So to have this, uh, device and especially, you know, we're, when we're focusing on the veterans, um, people that have, you know, are already dealing with maybe, you know, some emotional PTSD, uh, uh, you know, challenges, then, you know, the pain on top of that. And like Ricardo mentions, the, the medicines that they are going to give you are, you know, not going to, they're only going to exacerbate any type of emotional stress you're going through. Wow. What a cool, what a cool program they're, they're running. Yeah. And they've, they've had like a lot of, uh, like Michael Penix Jr. Who was the Washington Huskies quarterback this last year, they did a, like a fundraiser with him to, to raise money for, being able to supply these braces for for people and i know like dale earnhardt jr um was was a part of it as well doing so that yeah it's still super stuff. crazy to me that that there's devices like this out there um and just not everybody can just get their hands on them yeah I mean, right, if, right. If, you're, if you're just buying it out of your pocket it's between nine and ten thousand dollars and i'm sure like insurance is not you know unless it's well yes because to get yeah. the, the medicare code and all that stuff then it's almost impossible well each one is custom made right mm -hmm. so i mean it's not like you just most orthotics are yeah yeah exactly you just can't get one 
custom, you know, off the shelf and, you know, it's going to work for you um, right. right away. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I cool think it's a great they, program. They training. They, it's cool that they do the training with people too. We basically have to like learn how to walk again, you know, after, after so many years of, mm -hmm. of being in pain and, and trying to get around. So it's, yeah, I just thought it was well, a cool. He just, he, he describes how he had to learn how to do stairs. Right. I mean, people right. uh, adapt when you're in pain, you know, you see people walk sideways, you see, um, you know, in, in fact, I don't want to bring it back to me, but back in those days when I worked in that uh, at Boeing in those warehouses, there was an elderly woman there that I just felt so bad for her. She would limp along sideways, you know, for, you know, she probably had arthritis and stuff, but she was a sweet gal. And I wish I could remember her name right now, but, um, you know, it, it was painful just to watch her walk, you know, and, right. uh, you know, whether it's knee braces or these ankle braces or something like that. I mean, I support all of it. Yeah. Well, Kenny mentioned that he can't really wear shoes much. He pretty much lives in in uh, flip-flops. And it's funny, the day that me and Brandon it's saw true. him at the Tacoma Dome, I went, I'm like, Brandon, I'm going down. I'm going to go say what's up to him, you know? And Brandon's like, that is not him. And so I go down there, and he's basically at the end of the ramp because it was like a weird little elevated uh, platform, platform that they had yeah. had for wheelchair uh wheelchairs to sit on so we're up on top of this platform and i'm going down there to say what's up to him and so i start going down and he's basically at the end of the ramp but over a couple feet uh kind of leaned up over the the first or the back row of seats at the tacoma dump and he starts backing up right as I get to the bottom of the ramp and we like run it. He like runs into me. I, I almost run him over and I was just like, Oh, <laughs> and he like jumps back. He's like, Oh, my fault. My fault. You know, he's like, sorry about that. But like now I realize he's got a terrible ankle too, man. I probably about, about did him about in that it. day. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well being, you know, Kenny man, Maine is a, uh, obviously a, uh, an icon, uh, from the sportscaster universe but it's it's so cool that he jumped on our podcast yeah. uh and continues to to spread the story for this uh run freely organization so i'm i'm truly appreciative for him coming on yeah absolutely well let's get to the interview and we'll uh, talk on the other side yep sounds good this week on the live to walk again podcast we are so excited uh, to visit with Kenny Maine. He's a journalist, uh, ESPN icon, former UNLV quarterback, and founder and user of uh, Run Freely. Kenny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I was on Twitter, or now it's X, looking at something, and it led me to something else. You know, hey, you go down the hole, and suddenly I saw a note from you guys while back a long while back but i'd never saw it you know the first time around right and you had mentioned your situation and and mentioned uh how you wanted to talk about run freely so every chance i get to talk about that i always say yes so here we are oh that's great that's great actually i i think i um had started following you on twitter quite a while ago and uh me and my brother, who is actually my co-host for the podcast we uh bumped into you at the tacoma dome it must have been um, 
it was a high school basketball tournament going on at the Tacoma Dome right before COVID hit. Um, yeah, that last spring, I think you were you were there watching, or we were all there watching Gonzaga prep play uh, Federal Way with uh, Jaden McDaniel's, like Jalen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I was trying to convince my brother it was you over there watching, and he was just like, "Why the hell would Kenny Maine be in the Tacoma Dome right now watching a high school basketball game?" And it's like, oh, he's from he's from the area, man. So, uh, yeah, I was glad to glad that you finally saw that that uh, tweet from so long ago. But yeah, appreciate you being willing to join us. So, uh, you know, talk a little bit about. Um, so I was not a hundred percent sure what Run Freely was. Um, you know, I've dug into it a lot more over like the last uh, you know couple of years here, but talk about what it is like how you got involved uh, you and your wife got involved with it and i just i guess kind of the origins of how this all came to be well it's a long story i'll I'll try to condense i broke my leg playing football in college you know what year is it now 20 44 years ago i guess it was when i was 20 uh 21 maybe and pretty severe injury is called a fracture dislocation I ended up playing the next year. I wasn't like any big star. I was just second string, but played one more year when you're young, you know, you're just like, whatever, you come back from anything. And each year, then each decade, you know, it just kept getting worse and worse. I had like 10 surgeries, bone spurs, metal in, metal out, you know, they fused my big toe. We did, we did a little of everything trying to get me to get around with less pain and less swelling and all that. But by the time I turned about 50, it was pretty bad. Like I was, I literally, I can't remember my exact age, but in my fifties, one week I went to one doctor to fuse it, another doctor to replace it and another doctor to cut it off. And I literally, all three were under under consideration because, you know, I was, I was having trouble just waking up in the morning and starting the day. Like, are you kidding? I got to get up and walk to the bathroom. Like that was, that was a difficult thing. Fortunately, I got really lucky. I I was at a YMCA. My daughters were in a swim program and I ran into my daughter's PE teacher from her grade school. He saw me limping around the weight room, asked what the story is. So I tell him the whole story. And he says, hey, go see this guy. He's he's a chiropractor guy in Kirkland, Washington named Nino Privick. Just go once, you know, you'll go twice. And sure enough, Nino sort of like brought my leg back to life. And I put away with all the surgeries. I certainly know what was going to keep my leg for starters, but I needed to do something about getting around athletically. Like I could, and I still can, you know, go to the store or go to the mall or whatever. I just wear flip-flops or slippers and might swell a little, but I don't have really any big problems. But if I do anything ambitious, if I were to go to play golf or play pickleball or take a hike, I have to have some support or my ankle just kind of blows up. So I, I started with this one brace down in California. The guy, you know, made this device that, that took the pressure off the joint and it was pretty good and no offense to him. But the next one I ran into this guy in Gig Harbor named Ryan Blanc, he was sort of like the Ferrari. I was in a station wagon and I moved up to the Ferrari. So it was the, the fall of 2017, I guess it would be November. And I stuck the thing on. And literally on day one, was able to get on a treadmill and run with no pain. It sounds like one of those commercials you see, you know, when you fall asleep on the couch at 3 a.m. And they're telling you, you know, use this or that. And and it's not real. This is, though. And Ryan 
had made the devices originally for veterans, right? You know, those coming back situations like mine or worse where their ankle really wasn't very useful. And so Gretchen, my wife and I just were like, let's do something good with this. And it wasn't, I think it was the first day, like literally the first day that I got mine, we committed to let's do something so other people can get this. And those who can't afford it, you know, we can try to raise the money to help pay for it. And we've been going since then. That's, you know, six years, I guess. And we, I, I think we're close to about 50. I'd have to go back in all my emails and notes. So it's not like we're the Red Cross. We don't have a building. We don't have a staff. We just kind of have me and my Twitter and this girl named Mara who who helps facilitate things for me and friends, uh, ex-athletes, you know, strangers, you know, help comes in in all sorts of different ways. And uh, Mike Penix, the Washington quarterback, helped immensely last last spring. He did a thing where we had people pay $1,000 to catch a touchdown from him. And they got the thrill of catching the ball, meeting Mike Penix, getting, you know, the signed football afterward, getting the video, like the experience of doing it and a tax write-off, you know, for donating to a 501 um, and helping in that one day in 20 minutes, we raised enough money to get two veterans uh, pain-free. So the, the key is it, it doesn't fix anything. You still got your old wrecked ankle, but you get to do stuff you can't do otherwise. Or if you tried to do it, you'd have a really bad day. So right. like I said, I, I am either barefoot or flip-flops or slippers or my brace. Like I just, I can't wear regular shoes or I usually have kind of a rough day and my ankle gets very swollen and I limp around for a couple of days. But if I use this device, which I just used today, Gretchen and I walked over an hour on this trail, um, no pain, took it off. My ankle feels great. Wow. That, that's amazing. Um, and like to think you'd find it like right here, you know, where you, where you uh, kind of were born and raised uh, of all places that, um, you know, so I know it's, a, it's called it. The device is called an exo sim. Um, and so do yeah. you know much of like the, the science behind uh, Brad making this thing or like what, um, you know, like, and, and I guess one of my questions was, so this was designed specifically for veterans to, to hopefully, kind of fend off having to get a limb amputated right yeah they, i mean ryan ryan calls ryan, it sorry. Uh, limb salvage you know it's kind of harsh terminology but it's kind of true right like some people are in such pain the alternative of going without it and hopefully escaping the pain and getting a prosthetic or going on crutches sounds better than the pain that you're in every day and all the drugs and, I, and by the way I, I was just talking about this today I stopped taking pain pills. I'd been, you know, I wasn't like eating 20 a day or anything, but I was probably using more than I needed to. And, but I did need them at the same time. Right. I, I really was in pain, right. but I kind of quit cold Turkey. I haven't touched them. And I guess it's been five, almost six years. So um, that's another blessing from the whole thing. But it, it, Ryan made it honestly, mostly because of the veterans, because so many were coming back and all, all sorts of reasons. It could be, you know, an explosion, it, it could be falling out of a helicopter, it could be anything. Um, but there was just an abundance of lower leg injuries, you know, for having served. Not that he wouldn't also make it for somebody else, you know, a civilian who got in a car wreck or, or in my case, a football injury. But we really felt it was just so obvious, like, hey, we got this blessing that we didn't expect and I I had no idea it was going to be as good as it was. I thought it'd be like, all right, I'll put it on and 
I'll limp around and it'll be awkward, but at least it won't be as painful. But instead, I play golf with it all the time. I take hikes. Um, I even run sprints in my driveway um, when it's not snowing like it is now. Um, what else do I do with it? You know, just just the ability, like going to a concert. I wear it for Pearl Jam concerts, right? Because you're on your feet. You know how everybody, you know, especially as you get older, you're like, oh, my God, it's a five-hour affair, you know, from walking in to standing and waiting and and you get sore, you know, but with that thing, it just takes all the pressure off the joint. So to go back to your first question, can I explain the science of it? Not perfectly, except to say it displaces the pressure on the bad joint. So the bad joint is just sort of like along for the ride. You know, it's you still have to you have to kind of like learn to walk with it, you know, for having not walked properly for a long time. I, I found a really funny thing going up and down stairs i'd been so cheat i'd been cheating so much because of my injury i was doing it in a funny way and then i learned like oh this is how you go on a stair now you know like regular people do like you don't have to you don't have to baby it anymore because one of the first things they do when you put it on they have this little hill right by the facility in gig harbor and i've seen the video now many times with other people getting the device and that's one of the first things. Let's see you. Let's see you go up this little incline because you're, you know, th that's part of life. You can't just walk on the flats all the time. Right, right. And so, yeah, that was another question I wanted to know. So, if somebody does need one of these devices and is able to get, um, you guys are able to get them in to to work with uh, at the Run Freely facility there in Gig Harbor. Are you? So they go and kind of train for a a bit, maybe a week or so. Uh, I think yeah. I read. So, and, and that's just all, it's just learning how to use this thing or how to walk again, essentially with, right. With, I mean, we, we just had a case, the last recipient, Ryan was saying he literally hadn't been able to walk without pain in almost 20 years. So here he was with this device on now. And he, he was a little awkward, you know, he's like, oh my God, he's, he's really walking. You have to, the biggest thing is faith. You have to like trust you're, it's not going to hurt when you step down, you can actually jump and jump up on a box and show that. You know, but definitely when you've been out of commission for a while and your mind and your body have learned not to do something, now you got to relearn it's okay to do something. To be clear, you you mentioned Run Freely is the name of my organization, but it's not the name of the clinic. The clinic is called Hanger Clinic. And okay. it's we have nothing to do with that place except for we give money. So we, we raise money a hundred different ways and we're trying to uh, brainstorm about better ways to do it. Um, but mostly it's like this, you know, somebody's going to hear this and go, why wouldn't I 10 bucks, 20 bucks, a hundred bucks, or somebody with, you know, more means might send even more. Like we, we've gotten a couple of, you know, wow, this guy just gave 10 grand. He just heard about it on, you know, NPR or wherever that, you know, wherever we were interviewed and, and suddenly, you know, there we go. We can fund one guy right there or girl. So um, it, we, we kind of like hear about people who need it. Ryan, being in the business here's more so he he and i kind of work together on let's keep a list of who's been waiting the longest and who needs it the most and we just try to make the fairest next decision you know who's next in line we try to have a little ready all right next time the money comes in so and so's next and so and so's in the hole and so and so's on deck or whatever oh that's amazing yeah and i i'm actually i know i've heard of hanger i've actually uh, worked with them on getting some splints some hand splints and stuff like that in the past. So that that's cool that it's a local company. Like, yeah, well, like, they have facilities all over the country. 
but there, I think they're, I don't know this for a fact, actually, I shouldn't even guess, but I, I think they're all united, yet they're also individual. I think it's a little bit like they can kind of do their own thing where Ryan has this special program. And it's, it's crazy to see. It's like, you know, a bunch of people in white coats and they're back there in the, in the production area and they do the casting, you know, they, they do the temporary and then they, once you test the temporary and it feels like it's fitting right, then they take it all the way and they, they make the real, you know, it's carbon fiber. It, it has these struts in the back. So somebody like me who weighs, you know, a little over 200 something, I need two struts, you know, a, a young kid or, or maybe a female who only weighs a hundred pounds might only need one strut. A heavy set guy weighs 300 something, might need three or four struts. So they're all made uniquely for the person. It only fits you, right? Your your foot has its own certain shape. You know, it's not just like buying it off the rack. Right. Now, that's incredible. I, I heard you in another interview tell a story about a recipient who who was getting one of these devices and she flew into Seattle and was, you know, kind of so uh in so much pain and everything that she was actually having to take a wheelchair to, you know, on and off of the plane showing up here, but within a few days of getting the device and trying it and, and leaving with it, she was actually able to walk on the plane. No problem. Yeah. Um, no, it's amazing. I heard she then, I can't remember the story perfectly. Did she donate it before she left town or once she got back, but she didn't need anymore. You know, we we've had so many different, stories about what it meant there was another woman who couldn't work her husband actually had a different disability so she was like the the main breadwinner and she gets this device and that allowed her to go back into the workforce she got a nursing job you know a month later or something um other i remember getting a note from one guy he was just thrilled that he gets to take his he had little kids like four-year-old and two-year-old it's like, look at me, I'm I'm walking on the beach with them now. I couldn't do that yesterday, you know. Right. And then again, we've even had some go back into service. It's not all just retired veterans, mostly it's it's retired veterans, but in a couple of cases, we've had people that needed it to to reactivate and show that, you know, they had the ability now to do whatever it was they were doing before. Oh, that's amazing. Um you talk about how rewarding, you know starting this foundation and getting to kind of see firsthand um you know how how these this device affects people's lives that it's been you know how, how rewarding has that been for you and your wife to to kind of be able to see this uh idea that you you had from getting to try this thing you know six years ago to to right. where you are now no i mean we'll you know almost every time after the fact i'll hear from the recipient or they'll send me a video, look what I'm doing. And almost every time, you know, some are short notes and some are long notes, but there's just this gratitude and they're they're very humble about it. Like they can't believe like somebody cared enough about me to find the money to, you know, it's not all me and, and Gretchen. It's like, obviously we got donors all over and I could list off all sorts of names of people who've either given or given their name or shown up at events. So it's really, you know, taken a whole bunch of people. Um, and then, of course, you know, we donate ourselves. But, um, yeah, just to see those letters of gratitude is reason enough. Like, I, sometimes you can barely read. Like, you start choking up, you know, just like, oh, my God. The, what he, you know, he's just flat out saying, dude, you in one minute changed my life. Like, I'm no longer stuck in in the place where I was yesterday. I can now 
who knows what I'm doing next, you know? And, and some of them are, you know, athletic backgrounds. They're like, they really want to go after it. Like I've seen videos, guys are like entering, you know, uh, amateur track meets and, and one guy just ran five miles. You know, I don't run personally, um, like distance stuff. I like sprints more and, and long walks, but some people have been able to quickly just get back into what they used to do and, and, and actually full sail, you know, running down the road. That's great. Well, we're all about adaptive equipment here on the, on the live to walk again podcast. That's amazing well, what you guys are doing. Might, well, and also what's cool is kind of like partnering with a whole bunch of different friends, both veterans and others who all have their own unique thing. Like I got a, a friend down in Dallas who has this adaptive training center and he tells the story that he was going to do it originally. Um, Dave Babora, he's a former NFL player. I've had him uh, on, he, I've had him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. He was with the Seahawks for a minute and yeah. um, you know, he, the story he told me was he was originally going to do it, you know, just like a lot of ex athletes. Let's, let's make some money on the next round of athletes and we'll train them and get ready for the combine and get ready for the, you know, the, the camps and all that. And he met a guy with no arms and no legs and the guy wanted to get trained. And it just like something just lit up. It's like, wait a minute, there, there's a whole other group of people that I could be doing, you know, something even, you know, more valuable. And, and so they've taken off with that. And right. I got another friend who's, who's working with service dogs that they're, they aren't perfectly related, but similar in the sense that it's something you need to be your best self. Right. And and it, there's just a long list of, of different organizations, you know, PTSD, my sister's involved in that with Race for Soldier down at Gig Harbor. And we played in this flag football game. We're not doing it this year. I wish we were, but a whole bunch of Super Bowls, we'd get together like 20 veterans, most of them missing an arm or a leg, playing against ex-NFL players in, you know, a friendly flag or tag game, but meant to kind of showcase Here's what people can still do, right? So my best receiver has one arm, Michael Smith. He'd, he'd run past him and just reach up and, you know, pull it in like Odell Beckham. I love it. I love it. That's that's incredible. Um, you know, so I, I was wondering, have you guys looked into, since it's a lot of uh, ex-military uh, people that you're, you're helping with these devices, has there been any kind of collaboration between either hanger and the, or run freely and the, the military, or um, has that been any, anybody looked into well, that? In a sense. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely hear from like, sometimes certain veterans will have like an advocate who hears about our program. And so we've dealt with that where, you know, people still in the military are advocating for those in or, or just out, you know, we'll have that sort of interface with them. Um, and obviously, you know, every time I'm anywhere, I'm carrying it. Like when I go in the airplane, I'll usually just wear my flip-flops because it's a little cumbersome on the airplane. I don't really need it to just walk through an airport. Um, and it's just like a selling tool. Like, people, what's that thing? You know, and I tell the whole story and you just never know. Sometimes I'm running into veterans who hear about it and think it's great. And other times it's, you know, other civilians who, who either want to help or they'll spread the word. And I always tell the people, we're not asking everybody we tell the story to for any money, but if you, I was the joke is I would tell your rich friends, you know, so you never know. You never know if you have that right conversation with the right person in the right place. And that might be the ticket for three new veterans to get funded, you know? True. Yeah, no, I, I mean, our, our opening event 
was we, we ended up at a high school, Sammamish High School. In my head, it was going to, you know, sell out Key Arena or Climate Pledge, it's called now. I had Jamal Crawford, Gary Payton, Steve Largent, Jerry Rice, and Lenny Wilkins all showed up. And we with with that type of talent, I like I said, I always have, you know, shoot for the home run. But people didn't know what it was. It was in the middle of the summer. You know, like we try to put posters up, get people get on the radio, and we, a couple hundred people showed up at most, right? And half of them were probably friends and family, but it was still notable because it was like, here we are, we're doing this cool thing, and we're going to get the word out. And piece by piece, we just, you know, Steve Kerr helped out, uh, Dale Jr. helped out, The Rock helped out in the sense that he kind of like let us use his name to say, hey, I'm in on this thing, and we took a picture and promoted it that way, and. I, I, I'm leaving out other people, uh, Chris Long, Scott Van Pelt, and, and I'm sorry for those I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but we just had a, a ton, ton of support. People hear it and go, why wouldn't I support something like that? No, that, that's incredible. Uh, so I'm assuming that insurance doesn't cover these things at this point. Yeah, I, it's funny. There was one case halfway recently, and I don't know the details on it except to know his insurance paid some of it. And, but I don't think that was like the VA. I think it was a private insurance. Um, I guess it's complicated, but in order for any product, whether it's a wristband or a device such as this, it kind of has to go through the process and have the government say, yes, this is an official piece of equipment that we can assign a code number to like a Medicare code number so that it has a value against, right? Like this brace versus that device. Okay. Um, I don't know when that day is coming where it's, you know, that'd be great if 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 it's clearly having a great benefit and, and we're not, I'm not here in this to make money. Like it's not us, right. hey, buy our product. It's us, hey, give us money so we can buy the product for these other people. I 100% believe in it. I, I hate to say, you know, there's been no, no, failure is not the right word. There's there's been high success and maybe slightly less success or limited, but I haven't heard one complaint. Everybody that we've dealt with has come away with it changed my life. Wow! Can I say that across the board about every last person that's ever put it on? I don't know because I don't have the data on it, but I just know in our limited uh, engagement with it, with fifty odd people getting it, every single one of them has come back saying this changed my life and hasn't had any other, you know, side effects, you know, that, that are detrimental. Wow. That's, that's great. That's so great. Um, so what is one of these devices cost? If, if somebody's going to go in and just like, I don't want to wait in line. Yeah. I just want to buy one. Like what's it going to like, Depending on sometimes, sometimes there's some additives, excuse me, People need the device and something else, you know, like they might need a knee thing, you know, depending on their situation. So roughly nine or 10,000. Wow. We get a break because we're buying so many of them. He gives us a little discount. Um, but again, it's funny that sound, it sounds like a lot of money and not very much money at the same time. Right. Because that's a lot of money for most people, you know, that you have to come up with that and snap your fingers and here's a check. But if you compare it to yet another surgery and the rehab and the drugs and the time versus you, you go in and, and if you're next in line, you're you're running in two weeks or 
walking at least walking faster you know so Incredible. if you get another surgery to repair whatever the thing is that's hurting you there's no guarantee of success right i've had so many surgeries and the bone spurs just come right back and i still got you know the atrophy in my calf and i still got the swelling in my ankle and my talus you know the the part that lets you move your ankle up and down mine just barely moves like i have I don't even know if my left one is a 10, my right one's like a one, you know, as far as motion. Wow. So that's kind of the case with a lot of the folks that come in, they have drop foot or they just have a locked up ankle or they have a lot of pain. And like I said, you, you slide into this thing, your, your messed up ankle, just kind of like, you don't have to worry about it for the time it's in it. Cause the device, you got to learn how to walk with it again, but it really, ultimately it is just, what you're walking regular again you have not been walking regular and now you're just going back to what you should have been doing in the first place and, and it's it's definitely life-changing i mean there's no other way to put it that's that's incredible yeah i love it i love it well you know switching gears a little bit um to to letting me uh you know fanboy out a little bit on your your time with espn and um, you know, I know my, my brother was, uh, Brandon, who's my co-host I mentioned earlier, he, we're like diehard Sonics fans. Like we go to all the rallies, you know, hoping to, to get them back to Seattle. We, he wanted me to just make sure to tell you that we appreciated all the years of you on, uh, ESPN and, and along with like Scott Van Pelt and Neil Everett, even though he went to the university of Oregon, uh, you guys always riding for the Sonics and, uh, you know, mentioning mentioning them in uh, in high praise still, even though they had uh, had gone away to Oklahoma City. But um, you know, as, as a kid growing up in Western Washington, I mean, that must have been one of your first loves, right? Because that wasn't where they were the first. Sonics, Sonics were first. Then came the Seattle Pilots, who right. were in the American League for one year, and then they became the Milwaukee Brewers. That was. Two years, so the Sonics came in 67, and I'm like seven years old, and then the, the Pilots, 69, and they left. Seahawks came in 76, and the Mariners in 77, if my math is right. right. Um, but yeah, so so the Sonics were, you know, they were there quite a while, 10 years, more or less, as the one big franchise that we had, right? And yeah. my dad used to work at the airport. He worked for United, so he would meet all sorts of people that, you know, came through he'd meet the referees and I don't know how, you know, they either struck up a conversation or how it even came to be, but there were several games where my dad and I would get two free tickets from the refs. If we picked them up at their hotel and dropped them at the gym and took them back afterwards. So essentially they just wanted to save the taxi money, well, you know, whatever it was at the time. And we would get free tickets and get to ride with a couple of NBA refs, you know, and I'm a little kid asking all these dumb questions. And, but that was, that was pretty cool. And then as time went on, this is the old, the Coliseum is what it was called. It was built for the world's fair in 1962. Right. And me and my friends would either get one parent to drop us off or we'd take the bus. We were down in Kent, which is about 15 to 20 minutes away. And one parent would drop us off and pick us up or the bus and the other parent. And we'd go buy the $3, you know, cheapest seats in the house and spend most of the first half looking at the good seats to see who didn't show up. And then at halftime, you'd slide in, you know, right. which people from Bellevue or something didn't show up that night. 
Um, but yeah, I was a Sonic fan all those years. And then when I went to UNLV, that was the spring of 79. So, you know, that June is when we won our first and only NBA championship against the what were called the Bullets at the time, um, having lost to them the year before. So, yeah, those were some good good years and amazing memories. My favorite player was Lenny Wilkins, and I was so mad when they traded him. We went to the game where they brought him back when Cleveland came to town, and everybody was rooting against the Sonics and for Cleveland because they were all still so mad. We got sold out of the game, though. We didn't have enough money to buy from scalpers, so we had to waste three hours screwing around the Seattle Center until one of the parents picked us up. But I interviewed Lenny, and he said he, – he he even put it above the champion. He said in all my years, like, that was probably the most special night to, to feel the love that all these people had for me. I'd been sent away. I come back, and they still cared enough about me to, you know, make sure that I heard about it that night. Wow, that's incredible. Actually, I was born in October of 79. So I have a picture of my mom and dad at my mom pregnant with me at the uh, championship parade that year, which is uh, I was one of my one of my favorite things. So oh, I my favorite thing about that, I mean, obviously, besides going to some of the games, you know, in the season, but I was down in Vegas at the time, just watching it on TV, but almost half my team was from LA a bunch of Inglewood kids and Compton and Crenshaw and they were all huge Laker fans and we beat the Lakers in the playoffs leading to that championship so it was fun you know coming down from the state of Washington there weren't there were only a couple of few of us from Washington that were playing at UNLV at the time you know having those bragging rights over our teammates <laughs> yeah actually a uh, local kid here um from uh from Lacey, Brooklyn Hicks is uh, down playing from Timberline High School is down playing. He uh, got a scholarship to UNLV to play basketball this uh, oh, yeah. this nice. uh, season. I think he's having a pretty decent year for a young guy. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually had looked up. I was I was hoping I was like had a whole other line of questions. I was going to ask you if uh, you were on the same team as Suge Knight uh, when you were down at UNLV, but I think he was a couple years behind you. So. He was he was younger, but I can say I was on the same team as Randall Cunningham. Yep. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> my uh, my I, buddy Primo is from the Bahamas. Primo is like like John or uh, Joe in in the Bahamas, but the the name Primo. Uh, but yeah. he, uh, me and him are like both like diehard Randall Cunningham fans. It like blew both of our minds that you were on the same, uh, the same in the same quarterback room as him when we, uh, when we found that out a few years ago. Well, and everybody always has it wrong. Not that he couldn't have just stepped in, but when he came in as a freshman, you know, we could see all the talent in the world. He could throw the ball 80 yards. He was ridiculous. But Sam King was ahead of me. I was second, um, and Randall didn't even really play that year. I, I can't honestly remember. Did they end up redshirting him? You'd think they would have if he didn't play. Yeah. Um, my memory's a little foggy on that. But, but you know, he Sam led the nation in passing yards, so it wasn't like, you know, we were complete slouches in front of him. But whenever people hear that, they always say, and he backed up Randall Cunningham, but it's always fun to correct the records. So. Right, they, they had to keep back two up, huh? <laughs> but um, you knew that you knew that he was going to be something. I mean, he had a way about him. He was at the time he was like a like a giant puppy that hadn't quite 
You know what I mean? He's just all arms and legs. And he was, he seemed like he was seven feet tall. He was probably six, four, whatever he was tall and skinny, cocky, funny, you know, charming in, in his way and, and had that insane arm, you know, he could just launch the ball. We would, and, and back then I could throw the ball 70 yards, but Randall's ball, he was probably high seventies, if not 80. It was ridiculous. It, it just never came down. That must have been uh, must have been incredible, just kind of getting to to see him uh, before everybody knew who he was and yeah. what he was well, going to be. The the funny thing is, I'm so old. I you know I as a little kid, I, I must have been eight or nine years old when his brother um, Sam Cunningham was the big star at USC. He later went on to play for the Patriots, um, and so I remember hearing about oh this kid named Cunningham. He's Sam's, you know, I was like, oh, my God, Sam Cunningham, brother. You know, like that was a big deal. Just that this guy knew Sam Cunningham. That was that was enough association for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I know that you had worked at a local uh, TV station here in, in Seattle uh, before eventually winding up at ESPN. And I read on your Wikipedia page um, that obviously is not always true, but, uh, it said that you sent a note to ESPN asking them to check a box, uh, as to whether or not they would hire you and had a bunch of different options on there. Um, is that That's a, a true, true story? That is a true story. Yeah. So out of college, Sam, the kid I just mentioned was offered to go to the Seahawks, but he turned it down. He was going to go to Canada or do something else. And my coach, called the Seahawks and said, Hey, if you like Sam, you should look at the guy that's me, you know, who played behind him. He didn't get very much, you know, playing time, but he, he has the same or better arm and, you know, he's worth looking at. So I got to go up to Seattle through to Steve Largent in my tryout, which was helpful. Um, and ended up signing a deal like that day. They brought me upstairs. I blindly signed whatever it said Nice. and got to go to train with the Seahawks back at their old facility, which, for those local, uh, it's Carillon Point in Kirkland now. It's there's a hotel and a bunch of restaurants there, but that was their original facility the, the, before they moved to the uh, Northwest College. Then they moved to their current place down in Renton, and I never got to really try out though because once we got to Cheney for opening day, I failed the physical on the first day, and they sent me home. Um, so for my ankle, yeah, and so they put me on this weird test sort of like a leg lift test and you're supposed to do it as fast and hard as you could. And they had a sort of a graph, you know, measuring your strength or whatever. If I had known, I would have cheated. I would have gone hard on my bad leg and, you know, moderate on my good leg. And they would have looked equal. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought it was like I was doing a bench press test or running a 40 or something. So um, I ended up going home, you know, back to my parents' house and there was an ad in the local newspaper or the, I guess, Tacoma paper probably. Um, um, and it was for Channel 11, KSTW. They needed one more person, like, you know, a gopher basically. Got hired over the phone, just had an interview with the, the boss over the phone and started working like a week later. And I I was sort of what we call now a production assistant, a PA. I was probably, you know, that would be my the terminology for it for a couple of years and some writing and producing and then I finally got let on the air like three or four years later and then started doing sports about two years later. We didn't even have a weekend show. It was Monday through Friday. We were very small. We always said if there's news on the weekends, it's news to us. That was our, our theme. But when they added the weekend show, the head boss, Jack Eddie, was like, well, 
you play football, you're doing sports. And I didn't strangely really want to at first. I wanted to be doing more serious news and documentaries. That's kind of like what I, my focus was. But doing local sports was pretty fun, doing the Sonic games and the Seahawks and the Mariners and everything, Husky games. And left that job for some reason a couple years later and started sort of politicking my way to ESPN as well as I could, flooding them with ideas. And they'd already interviewed me. Like, I, you know, they knew who I was, but I didn't get hired. And I really did send that letter. I think it was like three years deep after having left that other job. You know, like I was like, are they ever going to really... Because they keep stringing me along. They kept on calling me up. And, hey, can you go interview, you know, Gary Payton? He just had a triple-double or, what, you know, whatever the case, right? And I, I wrote this letter saying, please check the appropriate box. I'm trying to sort out my future. The first one said, stand by the mailbox, contracts on the way. Second one was something like, keep up the freelance work. Third one said, we'll hire you about the time ESPN 5 hits the air. And at the time, they were just unveiling ESPN 2. Okay, uh, and it wasn't that long after I got a call for another interview and got hired. So they needed a couple more bodies. Stuart Scott had moved up to be the anchor. Keith Olbermann had moved back over to one. They needed one more guy, and somehow that was me. Wow, that's that's incredible. You know, uh, talk about kind of yourself and you know Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann and Stuart Scott and how. I feel like you guys changed the way that people kind of watch sports highlights or how how people deliver the 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 sports broadcast not broadcast but the, the the highlights on even the local news like with you guys were you know chipping in humor and sarcasm and and all these different things that were kind of new to because I mean I'm you know like 94 95 I remember why like that was all me and my friends did in the afternoons is like you know watching sports center when we get home from school or whatever uh leading into the game of the night or whatever and then everybody has to watch it after all the games you know the, the 11 o'clock eastern sports center at eight o'clock uh, our time back here on the west coast that was just what you did at night um, as a, as an adolescent boy, I guess. So what, um, you know, like I talk about kind of what, were they just giving you guys more freedom at that point? They saw that it was, it was working. Um, like, you know, talk about how you guys kind of changed the I mean, game as far as that goes. There were so many, you know, you listed a few, but there's a whole bunch, you know, Tom Mees, <laughs> the late Tom Mees before that. And Bob Lee, was more the, you know, straight journalist, but had a wicked sense of humor as well. So he, you know, he would, Charlie Steiner, um, Bill Patrick, not just Dan Patrick, but there's Bill Patrick as well. Um, I'm, you know, leaving out, you know, a hundred others, but I, I don't know. We, I think I was trying to do that at the local place. I just didn't do it as well. You know, I was kind of green and nervous and had the high voice and all that, but I, it's funny, I was on my own, I made up sort of a methodology of how to do highlights. And it turned out it was very close to what they did at ESPN in the way that they give you the information to, to do it on air. Because half the time people don't realize the, the person calling the highlight has never seen, they might have glanced at it, but there's no way you can watch 30 games at once, right? So right. you might, you've even forgotten that game took play. You had no idea that, you know, the Pistons were playing the Clippers, but some kid hands you a piece of paper and in the commercial break and goes over one of the hard names or whatever, the, you know, something tricky. 
there you go. You're on your own. You've never seen it. And in that live moment, you have to kind of act like you know everything about that game for that 90 seconds of the highlight or whatever. It's called a shot sheet. And it is like a shorthand Cliff Notes version of what is on the tape. So it might say first inning, Ken Griffey up. Homer number 33, Mariners lead four to nothing. So you have those situation, action, result in front of you. And, you, and you're glancing at the monitor and trying to time it out at the same time, make sure you're not too far ahead or too far behind. And that's when, you know, Stewart would throw in his booyahs and I would throw in my dumb home run calls or whatever my remarks were. Yahtzee. And yeah. I mean, it just depended on the moment. You know, sometimes you took a little more seriously if, if you didn't have a great handle on it. But on the ones where you kind of had it down, like anybody can call a Warriors game, right? You, you know, here's Steph Curry for three. But... There were some others where you're just, just get, what's the old expression? First, do no harm, you know, the doctor's oath. Like, don't screw it up. And if you happen to do okay well enough, then you can, you know, mix in your personality and, and throw in a joke or two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the Main Street um, and some of the other, the uh, – what Kenny Maine's wider world of sports or whatever it was, uh, the, the title of that one, these things were yeah, so they just iconic, you know? And I wonder, um, you know, my brother had asked me, he brought it up to me that, um, I don't know if you've seen the barstool sports, uh, their Sunday conversations with Caleb Presley. Have you seen any oh, of very those? Funny. Yeah. Like that, I feel like that's like a direct, I mean, if, if main street doesn't come out, you know, 30 years ago, whatever it was now, like, I, I don't think there's a Sunday conversation with Caleb Presley now. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's like, I really feel like that was like trend setting, you know, he, that, that, that bit is very funny. Like the reaction that they're editing, the timing it's, I've enjoyed watching that when there's two, you might've mixed up the title cause they just kept naming them after my name. Oh. Main Street was the the full on situation comedy with Aubrey Plaza and Allison Becker and Ben right. Schwartz and John that Blazer. one was great too. Yeah, yeah. That Maybe was I, that was like a comedy about life at ESPN. The main event was the one you were describing for the football stories. Main event. And Sorry about that. We essentially we would it was funny because it was like you you played a season. I, I'm not saying we put out the same physical effort as the teams, but it kind of felt like it like. You had a 22-week season, basically, including playoffs and Super Bowl. And every week, over the weekend, you're daydreaming, right, what's funny, what happened in this week's games? Is there something to play off of? Or in some cases, I've always wanted to do this bit. It doesn't matter who, what team. It's just this the silly thing that we can get these guys to go along with. Right. And then, then you had to go about selling it, right? So first you had to sell your bosses. Hey, we want to do a bit about blank. They'd say yes. Um then you had to call the team and get a yes from not just the team, but a couple of the players in some cases with certain teams that were very agreeable, like green Bay, Minnesota was very good. Seattle, obviously we could, Hey, we're coming out Wednesday. We don't know what the hell we're doing. They'd be like, fine, whatever locker rooms open at noon, you know? So sometimes you had the luxury of a willing partner participant. Other times you had to specifically get such and such player. Hey, Here's the bit they're trying to pull off. Would you give them 10 minutes or whatever? And certain guys would really get into it, like a Jared Allen. He'd be, you know, he'd do two-hour shoots. He cared about the product. Others, 
you you get them at his locker for like three minutes if you're lucky. And sometimes there's other reporters around there trying to do like real stories. So those were awkward moments where we're trying to do our little comedy bit. But we ended up, you know, there were a few duds, obviously, but all in all, we were pretty happy with the number of people who said yes and the way they behaved. Like we did one with Tom Brady and Justin Bieber in the same shoot where Brady had really long hair that season. And somehow we came up with the premise that Bieber's pissed at Brady because Brady's trying to steal Bieber's look. So we flew out to California and got Bieber before a concert. He was great. He was like 14 or 15 or something. And then Brady totally played along with it with the curling iron. And, you know, so they didn't all work, but they were, they were fun trying, but every week, all right, that one's over. We got to try, you know, drop another one, fly somewhere, shoot it, come back, edit it and do it again and again. That's that must've been incredible. Um, so yeah, I just have a few uh, kind of last questions for you here. Kenny, I'll let you get on with your day. I definitely appreciate all your time. Um, you know what? See, so you've gotten to do some amazing things professionally, uh, working through ESPN and and being on this journey you've had. Do you have one or two like highlights that just really stand out as kind of like the best the best moments of your career personally to you? Well, I think like as a series doing the main street with all those actors I mentioned was so fun. I wish we had done that longer for some reason it got killed. And then the wider world of sports, we just did a takeoff on the old wider world, wide world of sports program, just added an R to it and kind of did my version of, of what that show once was as a little kid, they traveled the world and they found these unique events. Ours was everything from the Palio horse race in Italy to we had Irish road bowling. Um, we surfed down a volcano in Nicaragua, you know, they're just, Fun stuff all over the world. That was it was a pretty amazing couple few years, but individual moments. I would say being at Dale Earnhardt's 500 win, Daytona 500, and getting to know him and his son. Uh, and another, I was just talking to my wife about this experience. I I got to get Stevie Wonder to do one line for a piece. His line was, "I can't be at the All Star game. I have a high ankle sprain," and it took about 15 hours to make that happen, but it was completely worth it. You know, I just kept on upgrading my position. It was, a, it was a big concert in Philadelphia. And I finally, now I'm backstage. Now I'm talking to his guy, you know, I had to sell Stevie, yes or no, would he do it? He heard it, he laughed, he said, I'll do it. And he did it in one take and that was it. Oh, that's that's amazing. That is amazing. Um, Earnhardt, Earnhardt was amazing because, you know, he'd never, he'd won at Daytona in the summer race, but he'd never won the the, the February 500. And the just the appreciation for him. I remember I had one of those little Sony home cameras that I would bring with me on big events. And I shot my own post-race, just kind of followed him as he came down. And usually when the races are over, every team gathers their their tires and their stuff and they go flying back to the garage and load up the truck and get the hell out to the next race. Every team stayed to congratulate him as he slowly moved down. I mean, it was really moving. It was such a cool moment. And then the next year, he agreed to be like our co-host for a few shows. And he he's exactly as you expect. He's, he's warmer than you then he allows people to think he is, you know, he's got that gruff exterior, the intimidator, all that, but 
I went to his boat for dinner with he and his wife, and I had a cold that week. And, he, and the whole night he kept on trying different cold medicine, you know, remedy. Have you tried this? Have you, wait, what if you take one of these? But, you know, you're going to have to drink a lot of water. And he was being like, you know, my uncle taking care of me. And it, it kind of took away from this, you know, the intimidator. He was he was just a good guy. That's awesome. Um, so I, that's another question. Do you, so were you, I mean, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, we're about as far away from like NASCAR racing as you can get as far as it being like a very popular sport um what and i know you that's kind of what you started at espn or one of the the main things like you were the, doing it was like the second thing yeah they when they killed the show that we were doing me stewart Susie, bill pito they kind of dispersed us onto all right stewart you do this reese you do that you know pito you do hockey and I don't know if they knew what to do with me because there weren't enough sports center shifts for everybody. Right. You know, you do one sports center or two a week and what are you doing with the rest of your week? You know? So right. they put me on this car racing show that they had invented. And I remember the guy, Bob Eaton was his name, the, the boss. And he's like, what do you know about car racing? And I said, honestly, nothing. He says, well, you're the host. <laughs> and I'm thinking what the hell the other people say, like <laughs> that they slap him or something, you know? So but the funny thing is, even though I was kind of shocked with the selection, because you don't typically pick that, you know, that's a pretty intense crowd. They know, you know, just like NFL fans know the game pretty well, right? Yeah. And and there was the worry that, oh, here comes a smart ass who doesn't know a damn thing about the sport. It's going to go poorly because I'll be out there joking around and not having the substance to pull it off. But I just leaned on all sorts of good people, Benny Parsons and Jerry Punch and Ryan McGee and just asked a million questions. Like I wanted to be good. I wanted to know what the hell I was doing. Right. And, I, and at the start, you know, I was certainly wasn't as good on day one as I was later, um, but ended up having some great relationships, you know, did a lot of stuff with Jeff Gordon, mentioned Earnhardt, Jeff Burton, all, all sorts of them, you know, they, they were all pretty open to us doing it our way. And we still, showed enough respect for what they were doing that they knew we cared, you know? Yeah, that, that's great. That's great. Um, and then my last question, I would get, you know, a hard time from all my friends if I didn't ask you this. Is there an East Coast bias when it comes to sports coverage, Kenny? I think yes. Right. I think absolutely. I mean, look at Pac-12 football. Well, now there's no Pac-12, but – or there soon won't be. The – I feel like part of it is some of the games are late, right? They they play the 7.30 Eastern, I'm sorry, 7.30 West, which is 10.30 back here. And it's hard to stay up and watch games still 1.30 in the morning, you know, especially if you have, if somebody has a show the next morning, whatever. So I think there's a dismissiveness for starters because of the lack of attention given it. And then the other, you know, so many of the people that run things are from, you know, the East Coast, New York, Philly, Boston, whatever. And they've all grown up thinking the whole world cares about the Yankees and the whole world cares about the Knicks. When in fact, that's not really true. If you're out in Seattle, you don't necessarily have a problem with those teams, but but whatever's happening with the Yankees, it's just another team to, to somebody out West, right? Yeah. So it, it some of it's kind of subtle, but I, I think it shows up now and then. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We're glad. I'm I'm glad that we got yeah, a sports center a former sports center anchor to admit this on on uh, <laughs> live on the podcast. <laughs> if there were there were enough of us, Neil uh, Neil Everett for sure was one of the others. We we would just slip in our own bias. Then you know we we do our thing, Pearl Jam references and Sonic references and <laughs> whatever we thought needed to be said to to balance the universe. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, last thing, Kenny, can you give us, uh, you know, tell everybody where they can go to, to either donate or, um, you know, get in for more information about Run Freely and, and about the uh, the uh, ExoSim de- uh, assistive device? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is explained right there on our website. We kind of tell the story of how it happened. You see me breaking my leg in 1980. You see some of the events we've done. You got the Mike Penix moment you got some success stories from our veterans so we've you know built it out a little bit so so you can just walk through it but the website's just the name of it it's run r-u-n freely f-r-e-e-l-y so it's one big word run freely.org and after you read and see the videos and see if that inspires you to want to help there's a donate button right there and you get a you get a letter right back that serves as you know for your income tax if you want to get a deduction that shows that we're you know an official 501c3 is what they're called um but yeah we're we're just going pretty much dollar by dollar so i just wrote a check for the last uh veteran that just got his about 10 days ago uh so i think the bank account's pretty low again but we'll start once more and try to get back up to the right number all right well hopefully we can help you guys raise some money and yeah if there's ever a, a an in-person event you guys have out here definitely uh shoot me an email or something we'd love to come out and, and help support so i appreciate it thank you so much i'm actually doing another related podcast in about four minutes these okay. guys in vegas are doing a thing where they make a bet for a you know they pick what game they like this week and then whatever the winnings are go to whatever charity they're featuring. Nice, nice. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, yeah. good luck with everything. And thank you so much, Kenny, for joining us. All right. Nice meeting you. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. All right, that was Kenny Main. I just want to thank him again for, I mean, yeah, I appreciate him even finding that tweet four years later or whatever it was and uh, and being willing to come on the show, so... Shout out to him and everything that uh, him and his wife are doing with Run Freely. It sounds like an incredible organization, and uh, yeah, helping a lot of people. It was it was definitely uh, you know, happened at the right time, and that's what's most important. Absolutely, and you know, certainly as a kid who uh, grew up in the nineties, uh, as a huge sports fan. Um, basically sports center is you know the soundtrack to your life at that age uh, and you know, it's not like it's so many options you know when we were a kid at, at about you know six seven eight o'clock you basically just uh you watch sports center until 10 yeah over and over <laughs> and over <laughs> it's true man that's all we did um but yeah it's uh it, it was definitely definitely a fun fun time getting to getting to interview him and uh yeah i can't thank him enough for for coming on the show so yeah appreciate kenny main um yeah, i and did, appreciate oh, i pre- appreciate you jeremy you know uh getting the word out 
um, even though it's not related, you know, super related to spinal cord injury, it's all related to mobility, like you said. And the fact that, um, you know, he's willing to come out and um, support you in this way says a lot to me about your podcast. So good job. Well, thank thanks, you. Man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, that's all of our podcast. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I, uh, we have a couple more cool guests lined up for, for in the coming weeks. I'm not sure if we're going to have an episode next week, but um, in the next few weeks, I have a guy who's participating in this epidural stimulation trial down in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it should be good interview with him. And he's been injured for quite some time. Um, and he participated. He actually was the first. I believe the first quadriplegic to be to have the Neuralink scan done on him, like where they went in and scanned his brain to see where they wanted to put the all the different uh, leads and whatnot. Um, but he's I, I was I talked to him on the phone a couple of times, just haven't actually conducted the interview yet. But he was saying that you know yeah they at this point it sounds like Neuralink just kind of wants people for guinea pigs um, to like test the. I guess, test how well the equipment works, uh, placing the different leads and the, and the actual Neuralink chip into the brain. So into the skull. So he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that yet. I was like, I don't, I don't blame you, but that bring that made me think about, um, I did see an article. I sent it to you for sure, Ricardo. I'm not sure if I sent it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was just going to say the one in China. Yeah. There's like a Chinese company that's essentially Mm -hmm. doing the exact same thing as Neuralink, but they're, that's right. You did send that out. Yeah. They're actually, um, they have people moving again. So like theirs is already like to the next step where it's, they're putting it in and, and, with training helping people start getting movement back and stuff so that a guy could somebody who'd been injured for 14 years which is a huge that's a huge fact in the in the whole thing was able to you know use his own and he was a quadriplegic was able to use his upper body grab like a bottle of water off the counter and and drink it with and drink no it no problem so yeah. i mean even little yeah, stuff video? like that uh that didn't, there was no video with it but well they did show a little bit of video i saw it on the internet they did show a little gotta be true yeah yeah it's gotta be true yeah but there was a little bit of video where they showed um the um where they were massaging him so like yeah yeah not the actual lifting of the bottle but they did show him reaching for a bottle and then the video cut out so but uh yeah there was some yeah exactly yeah See you, well, see you in uh, version see, version two. Come back for version two. Yeah. Sometimes things like that do happen to move a little bit faster in China. Uh, yeah. maybe, I don't know if it's a regulation thing or they just got better funding. Uh, you know, we we over here are relying on you know billionaires to come up with the technology. So, right. Um, obviously, they're. I don't know if it's a a passion project for Elon Musk, or if he's really just predicting the future uh, as something that will make him money, I'd assume the, the latter, but. I think he's working on the matrix, Brandon. Well, I think if you talk to Elon Musk, there's a high probability that he believes we're already in the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. At least that's. 
That's what he says. What better? Uh, I forget what and, he said. And our efforts will be futile against AI. Yeah. Yeah. AI. The AI's got to worry you a little bit, but I mean, if they can get me walking again, let's go. Um, I mean, really, dude. I mean, come on. Yeah, I always. Uh, there has to be. There has to be some some benefits, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I always apologize to Alexa if I get upset if she's not hearing me correctly. Sorry, I didn't mean that. This I know. Yeah, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why you want to say thank you to Alexa like she knows. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to lay the groundwork, man. That I'm. I'm. An, I'm one of the good ones. Yeah, we're here for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when they start getting rid of all the uh, carbon-based units, uh, right. Alexa will go, oh, yeah, he's the one that thanks me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, well, yeah, we'll we'll dig into that. Um, it's the funny thing, too, Brandon, speaking of the Matrix, is that, that the Chinese company is called, like, it's somewhat similar to Neuralink, but it was like, it, it's three words and it's, uh, but the abbreviation what is Neo Morpheus and Trinity. Oh yeah. It's Neo. Neo is the abbreviation yeah. for the, for the company. Oh, so true. thought that was funny, but, um, well, yeah, because they don't actually go into the brain. They tap right into the, uh, uh, base of your brain. Right. Oh. Right to the, the stem uh, the stem of your brain yeah yeah Which brain seems stem. more logical yeah. especially for feeling and movement yeah so right so yeah we'll uh we'll dig into that that study a little bit but more. i'm just in my third year uh neuroscience so you know <laughs> yeah. what do i know <laughs> yeah all right guys well thank you again to kenny main appreciate it hope everybody enjoyed this episode i know like I said, it wasn't really uh, about spinal cord injuries, but it is about mobility and, um, you know, aging with, with injuries and things like that. So uh, it's probably a lot that a lot of people could get out of it, I hope. So uh, yeah, even now, we need to spread the word about this for, for other people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, until next week, guys, thank you for uh, joining me here. And, uh, yeah, thank you again to Kenny Main. And we will be back in a week or two. Yep. Thanks, Jeremy. It was All very right, good. Thanks, Jay. Yep. Thanks, guys.